0: Please remain standing and turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians five twenty two through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, uh, we invite you to just meet us where we are this morning. And will you fill this place and will you speak to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and take seats. On March 16th of this year, uh, Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson was traded to the Denver Broncos. Russell Wilson, who became... Seattle's hometown hero leading the Seahawks to two Super Bowls and one victory. Traded just like that. And when we heard the news, Amanda and I, we were shocked. Not because we're huge Russell Wilson fans, although I'm sure he's a cool guy, uh, not because we care deeply about the Seahawks, uh, we don't really, uh, and not because we're invested in professional football, because we're not at all. Uh, but we were appalled by the system that is professional sports. We were, we're kind of rubbed the wrong way by the business of it all. You know, the fact that there is a multi-billion dollar enterprise called the NFL in which people, players, are, are essentially... Yeah, they're treated as these racehorses and, and reduced to mere numbers, stats and figures exchanged in commerce for the benefit of franchises. And all this kind of rubs us the wrong way. Now, I, I know he was probably excited to go to Denver. He recently agreed to a $245 million extension. But I mean, that's another thing, goodness gracious, $245 million. You know, At this point in our lives, having just brought a brand new human into the world, we're well acquainted with the financial challenges of our healthcare system. And we're seeing just how easily medical costs can make anyone bankrupt. Meanwhile, billions of dollars get pushed around for guys to play a game in order to appease the masses. And when a player has done his part for the franchise, for our hometown, you gotta admit there's an eerie, quasi-nationalistic vibe there, and then we trade. We just let them go, like that. People reduced to numbers, personal worth, decided based on performance. Higher performance, more wins, equal higher worth and value, feed more money. Poor performance, less wins, makes you expendable. All for business and profit, franchise image and success, and for the fans hometown pride and this is why no one ever talks to me about sports but the crazy thing is isn't this just kind of a a publicized televised microcosm of our world like is our society any different Many of us are in school. We're in the education system right now. I mean, what's the leading causes of of stress and anxiety outside of the rat race of keeping up with social circles and trends? It's likely grades, the numbers and figures attached to your academic performance. The numbers and figures that seemingly decide your future. In the workplace and career world, our our value and worth are decided by our performance and productivity as evaluated by, by higher ups and corporations, Uh, And high work performance, if you're deemed valuable by by some executive or a corporation, is rewarded with higher salaries. And these are the cogs of the machine, capitalism, consumerism, and meritocracy. But this system of performance-based value isn't confined to career and academic circles. It invades our social and our personal lives, too thanks to social media, comparing our social performance has never been any easier, And it has never been more damaging. You know suddenly, the amount of friends that I have is a stat that I can keep track of and show off. Suddenly, my influence is measurable. Open the floodgates for the demons of comparison to come rushing in. Our lives suddenly publicized in the way sports and celebrity lives are. And maybe, maybe this is what we thought we always wanted. You know, just choose your platform, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, for those over 35 years old. Suddenly, our social lives reduce us to numbers and figures. You know, our our value and worth are seemingly measurable again, which leads us to the big question of today. How do you measure success? And how do we measure how much we're killing it at life right now? What is the metric for success? In other words, how do we measure the fruitfulness of our lives? Is it grades? Is it salary? Is it house or houses owned? Is it our relationship status? Is it the type of car we drive? In my house, it's only pre-2010 Hondas. I hope that's not the metric for success. Is it comfort or ease of living? Is it the number of kids you have? Is it the number of vacations you take or the amount of photos of those vacations that you take? You know, is it the number of friends, the number of followers, the number of likes, high scores, how far you are along in the American dream, whatever that is these days? And are these accurate metrics? Are they true? Is this real fruit? Does, does striving for these metrics actually lead us to a life of lasting love, joy, hope, and peace? You know what is, essentially, what is our vision of success? Of a life well lived? And does it line up with Jesus' vision of a life well lived? Which is truer, the world's vision or God's vision? Hope you still have your Bibles. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we'll be reading from verse 15. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, ye will recognize them by their fruits. Uh, Just a bit of context, this teaching of Jesus comes out of his famous Sermon on the Mount. Um, And this is just one of many warnings we see throughout the Bible against false teachers. So to return to the question, Are our world's metrics for success and fruitfulness accurate? Are today's visions of the good life true? Are they truly indicative of joy, contentment, peace, and a life well-lived? Because we must evaluate, if we're going to invest so much of our time, energy, and resources into pursuing these steps towards these visions or these pathways towards the good life. You know, is the world's vision for fruitfulness true, or is it false teaching? We must look at the fruit. And, and what is the fruit? You know, if we're honest, today's statistics on mental health and depression tell us that the world's metrics, quite possibly our own metrics, for success, they don't deliver. You know, we pine and strive and grind for these metrics, salary, possession, status, influence, but reality shows us that they don't deliver. And yet we strive on, either willfully or unknowingly blind to the reality that with each year, statistics show that, that we are becoming more less and less happy, not happier, and that's putting it mildly. The prevalence of mental illness, the number of youth living with depression, the rates of suicidal thoughts and suicide continue to increase yearly. So clearly, these metrics don't point to a life of satisfaction, let alone a life of abundant joy and peace. And the the Bible doesn't have to tell us that. Honest reality does. And unfortunately, these, these worldly metrics and measurements for success for fruitfulness, creep into the church. You know, for those of us who have had to search or shop for a church, I mean, what do we look at? Hopefully we look at core beliefs, like are they a God-fearing Bible-believing and preaching church? But then we'll usually, you know, we'll look at image, we'll evaluate the amount of and quality of the programs. Do they seem like they have it together? You know, when we think successful church, more often than not, our mind goes to numbers. How has attendance grown? Is this pastor preaching attractive, entertaining sermons that attract and grip people? Is the worship band crafting the right experience? Are we filling the pews? But friends, like are are these Jesus' metrics for fruitfulness? Or are they worldly metrics in sheep's clothing? Is, is it possible that we are measuring success and fruitfulness by the wrong? Metrics. Reality shows us that the world's vision of the good life doesn't pan out the way we think it does. Reality shows us that high salaries and professional success does not equate to joy. Having more does not lead to peace and contentment. In fact, oftentimes it's the opposite. The more we have, the more we need to have more. And if it does does lead us to peace... It only breeds us to become people who depend on the right circumstances for peace, not people of peace. There's a big difference there. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Jesus says these people are blessed, while the world says these people are poor. And as Christians, we neglect what Jesus says and we buy into the world's vision. And as a result, our eye and our sense for true fruitfulness is all out of whack. And we have no idea what true fruitfulness in God's kingdom looks like. As a result, we look for the wrong things and we think they're fruit. We look for emotional highs, increased attendance, comfort, and ease. And, And these aren't necessarily bad things, but is it what Jesus would describe as fruit? As a result, we overlook true fruit, true harvest. And in doing so, we miss out on the real reasons to rejoice and give thanks. We miss out on true joy and completely missing the presence and work of God's kingdom in our midst, falling back into the self-destructive cycles and pursuits of all the false visions of success and the good life that surround us. It's, it's really a losing battle if we are not on our guard for wolves in sheep's clothing, as Jesus warns. How sad would it be to realize at the end of our lives how far we missed the mark on where true joy and peace are found. How sad would it be to be a professing Christian and completely sidestep the road to joy to miss out on all the potential realization and celebration of God's love, his provision, his blessing, his presence and his work in and around you. And so, how how do we not miss the mark? Turn with me back to Galatians chapter five. Verse 22 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self control against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires a while back i was uh, i was taking out a friend of mine to celebrate his 21st birthday Um, If you're curious, we went wine tasting. Clearly, I know how to party. Um, But as we were celebrating a milestone, you know, enjoying fine wine and conversation, uh, I I posed some sort of big questions. Now you have two reasons not to invite me to your birthday party. Um, But I I always like to ask questions like, what were the highlights and the lowlights of the past year for you? Uh, What were the big lessons of last year? And then looking forward, you know, what are your goals? hopes, and dreams for this year. And my friend, you know, being the, the fresh-faced 21-year-old that he now was, looked forward to seemingly endless possibilities, new experiences, seizing new opportunities, trying this and that, getting out there, accomplishing this, visiting that place, launching that project. And I was like, that's awesome, man. And life is full of wonderful and beautiful opportunities. And it seemed like he had his list down. But then I asked this question. I was like, what kind of, I mean, these things are great. You know, it sounds like you have a lot to look forward to. But what kind of man do you want to become? What kind of man do you want to become? Dead silence. And then a few moments later, he looks me right in the eye and he says, that's a good question. And to this day, I'm still waiting for his answer. Um, you yeah, know, it seems, seems like a simple question, but as it turns out, it's a tricky one for our generation. What kind of person do we want to become? It's tricky because it's a question that our culture doesn't really train us to answer. Usually when we talk about goals, hopes, and dreams, they usually come in the form of measurable benchmarks. I want to buy a house, I want to visit this destination, I want a new job, I want to accomplish this in my career, I want to make six figures, I want to hit the gym and get solid abs, I want to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend, I want to be married, I want to fulfill this dream, I want to do this and do that, preferably by the time I'm X years old. Now, Our culture has bred us for doing. You know, our worth and our value have become dependent on what we do. Our goals, hopes, and aspirations all have to do with doing. We're caught up in the doing. And this is why we're less equipped to answer questions about being. The world's value system primes and trains us to seek results and products, accomplishments and tangible benchmarks. And this is how we measure our worth. These are the metrics we use to measure our success, our fruitfulness, and whether or not we're doing life well. This is why why slow processes and the concept of practice is so difficult for us. We are results driven. This is why our roles as doers become such a central identity for each and every one of us. This is why the things we do, our careers, hobbies, etc., so quickly and quietly become our idols. And today's society rewards products and results, numbers and figures. It doesn't really reward character. And to bring it back to sports, we, we, we talk about how many points a player scored in a game. The numbers and figures determine whether we like them as a player. In the working world, we measure productivity and salary, numbers and figures. When I ask about goals, hopes and dreams, we talk about the things we hope to do. But very rarely does it concern character. Very rarely do you hear things like, this year, I wanna be a more patient person, or my goal this year is to be a more gentle person. You know, when, was the last time, when was the last time you heard someone say, I wanna grow in self-control? This year. Or even, I want to be a more faithful person this year. You know, a lot of times it seems like it's the opposite. You know, with, with shows like The Bachelor and like the prevailing hookup culture, it seems like our society actually rewards unfaithfulness, infidelity, under guises like freedom. I mean, is that not upside down? And, and so we get to the million-dollar question. Does our world's value system do our culture's metrics for success and fruitfulness, do they line up with those of Jesus? You will recognize them by the fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does worldly fruitfulness equate to kingdom fruitfulness? Apparently Not. The fruit of the Spirit is love as defined by God, sacrificial and self-giving. The desire of the world is to formulate and reformulate our own definition of love, relationship without commitment, love that is not costly or covenantal, but rather self-seeking. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The pursuit of the world is quick hits of happiness and momentary pleasure. The fruit of the Spirit is peace, but the world is seemingly ruled by anxiousness, stress, and reactiveness. The fruit of the spirit is patience. The world values productivity, output, being quick to act. The fruit of the spirit is kindness and goodness. The world is more concerned with being more right than the other person. The fruit of the spirit is gentleness. The world values loudness, speaking over others, asserting your opinion at the expense of gentleness. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. The value of the world is self-indulgence. The world measures fruitfulness by the things we do, results, accomplishments, achievements, numbers and figures. God measures fruitfulness by looking at who we become. It says God tells Samuel, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. Man looks at results, accomplishments, achievements, numbers and figures. But the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus tells his disciples, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Pastor and writer Rich Viotis points out, at the end of it all, Jesus will not say, well done, good and successful servant, well done, good and influential servant, or well done, good and high capacity servant, but well done, good and faithful servant. Love, faithfulness, all the fruits of the Spirit. These are character traits. They're not products, they're not numbers, they're not achievements. These are character traits. God is after our character formation. This is fruitfulness. So, to sum up, We know that the world's value system, the world's metrics for fruitfulness, success, status, material, wealth, are not indicative of joy, peace, and a life well lived. We know that the world's metrics do not line up with God's metrics. God is after our heart. Fruitfulness in God's eyes is deep personal heart and character transformation. And so the question that remains is this. Is God's idea of fruitfulness then, if the world's isn't, is God's idea then indicative of joy, peace, and a life well lived? Do God's metrics for fruitfulness equate to the best life? Is God's vision for the good life really true? Jesus claims that it is. He says in John 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Sit on that for a second. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says he comes not to ruin our lives, not to rain on our parade or to take away our fun. He says he comes to give us life, and he means life to the full meaning our best life is found not in worldly riches status or being able to live the way we think we want to. It's simply found in him. Our best life comes out of simply abiding in him, being with him and remaining in him. And from a life of abiding in him, A life of walking in step with Jesus. From that life, we reap love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. What if these fruits were, in fact, truly indicators? of a life lived to the fullest, a life lived well. For example, let's, let's take the fruit of the spirit that's less attractive by today's standards, patience. Which would be more desirable? Having everything you want on demand now, 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 and yet still feeling discontent? Or simply having patience? which is the truer road to joy and peace? Or how about another unattractive one, self-control? Who is freer? The person ruled by the passions of their heart who needs to give in to every urge and whim, or the person who has the self-control to simply say no to the desires of the flesh? Culture says that freedom is being able to do whatever you feel but being ruled by feelings, emotions, and urges sounds an awful lot like slavery. Isn't truer freedom not needing to indulge every desire? Which person leads the more joyful life then? Who has more joy and peace? The person who must react angrily to every setback, every Instagram post, or the unfairness of life, or or, or respond aggressively to every opposing viewpoint or attack? Or is it the person who can choose gentleness and kindness instead of angry reactiveness? Who has more joy and peace? The one whose worth is dependent on the fleeting approval of others or the one who is secure in the self-giving, sacrificial, never-ending love of God? Who has more joy and peace? The one who must constantly vie for identity and worth or the one who chooses to remain faithful to a loving God who has been faithful since the beginning and is always faithful. My friends, could it be that Jesus' vision of the good life is actually the truest? Could it possibly be the only true, accurate vision of a life well-lived, a life full to the brim with love, Joy, hope, and peace. Again, Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Given the fact that He gave His life on the cross to secure our lives in Him, I trust Him. Given the fact that our world's value system doesn't deliver, that it is full of broken promises. I trust Jesus and his promises. Given the fact that we can experience this fruit and the life that it gives, why not trust Jesus? Now our final question. Maybe maybe your life up until this point, or at least recently, has you feeling like you don't measure up You don't measure up to the world's standards of success and fruitfulness. Maybe you feel like a failure because because you aren't measuring up to the world's constantly changing value system. You aren't achieving the results, numbers, and figures that the world around you tells you to chase. Perhaps, according to the world's standards, you are not killing it right now. But what if, what if in God's eyes, real fruit is either just around the corner or it's being formed right now? What if you're actually bearing true fruit? What if the the fruit of the Spirit is being born in you right now? What if the season that you're in is actually a season of fruitfulness, a season of harvest? even if, by the world's standards, it doesn't look that way? What if, as you endure and press on through the disappointment, the frustration, the setbacks, and the injustices of this life, you're actually growing in patience and faithfulness? What if, as you choose to battle temptation and sin, while the world tells you to just give in, you're actually becoming a beast in self-control? What if, as you choose to not flip off that driver who just cut you off, as you choose to not respond with a witty comeback to that stranger on Insta or your uncle who supports the other political party, by choosing to be slow to speak and quick to listen, what if you're growing not only in patience and self-control, but also gentleness and kindness? What if, by choosing not to join in on gossip, by choosing not to take the easy path of demonizing others and, and sowing seeds of division, by choosing not to be overcome by it or to give in to the evil in the world, you're growing in goodness. And what if by choosing to love when it's hard, by choosing to remain in committed friendships and relationships, by choosing to be self-giving rather than self-seeking, you are growing in love. And what if, as as the values of the world that are so deeply embedded in our minds become uprooted and replaced with God's value system, God's metrics for fruitfulness, joy and peace take the place of jadedness and bitterness? Is that not a greater reason to rejoice? Like, what if, what if you're in a season of harvest right now? What if true fruitfulness is happening inside you right now? Why not celebrate that? Why not give thanks for the real work of Christ in you? As we, as we wrap up our season's teaching series, I want us to reflect. As you endure the slow seasons of stagnancy, the difficult seasons of dryness, the complicated seasons of doubt, or the painful seasons of suffering? What is God forming in you? What has he been working inside of you? How has he been shaping your character? Is the season of stagnancy or doubt you're confronting you with the fact that that you need to step out in faithfulness and love? Is the dry season you're in cultivating patience? Is the season of suffering you're in leading you to grow in endurance, all the while leading you to long more and more for Jesus? All of the seasons we go through, if we sow seeds in God, there will be fruit. And now we know what real fruit looks like. So moving forward, how do we step into this reality? How do we participate in in turning our value system around? How do we uproot the world's value system in our minds and replace it with God's? And how do we participate in our transformation? It doesn't doesn't always end up like this, but today's application and practice can be summed up in four P's. If you're taking notes, write this down. Pray, pay attention, participate, and praise. And then there's an unofficial add-on, party. I'll explain. Uh, First, pray. Sin has our minds wired to latch onto and to pursue the wrong value system, the wrong pathways to joy, dead ends. Pray that God would do the work of rewiring our minds and our hearts and that he would reorient our value system. Eject the value system of the world and replace it with God's. This is the truest vision of the good life. Second, pay attention. And this is linked with the first. One of the first wise things my counselor told me in in one of our first meetings was that prayer can be boiled down to simply paying attention. Yes, it is talking to God. Yes, it is praise. Yes, it is thanksgiving. Yes, it is petitioning, making requests. But it's also listening. Henry Nowen writes, Something very deep and mysterious, very holy and sacred, is taking place in our lives right where we are. That's right now. And the more attentive we become, the more we will begin to see and hear it. Uh, Most of you who have been to our house know that we are not gardeners. No green thumbs here. Um, Our yard is a mess. We have no idea what grows in or lurks in our backyard. Uh, But a couple years ago, my dad was over, we were in the backyard, and he was like, hey, you know you have plums growing over there? And I was like, what? No, definitely didn't see that. And I, I, I didn't realize the fruit we had simply because I wasn't paying attention. You know, it was there all along. I just didn't see it. You know, too often our, our, our way of praying is like cooking with a slow cooker or an instant pot. You know, we set it and forget it. We pray to God, we make our requests, but then we go on living our own lives never paying attention to how he chooses to answer our prayers. I mean, no wonder we miss so much. So pray and then pay attention. Wait, but also watch for God's hand. This is why spending time in scripture, getting to know God is so important. And we need to know how he works. We need to learn his love language. Otherwise, we'll miss the way he works we will miss the way he loves and we will think he's absent when all along, we've just been missing it. Pay attention and realize that God is working good in you. Third, participate. God is the one who changes our hearts. He waters and grows the seeds that then bring forth fruit. But we still have to sow the seeds we still have to participate with him. God changes our hearts, but he doesn't force us. He definitely doesn't change us in a way that lets us sit passively on standby while he does all the work. That would result in zero character transformation, and it would also be a violation of our free will. Pray, pay attention, and participate. Can't really blame God for not changing us if we choose not to participate. And then fourth, praise. And this is where party comes in. Celebrate. You know, the, the the other day our daughter doubled her birth weight, which, relatively speaking, is very little. She went from weighing one pound to weighing two pounds, which is still tiny. But for her, that's huge. And and we celebrated and for for every little milestone if she like takes a bottle in her mouth for the first time we're celebrating we we, we bring donuts for the nurses we'll go out for ice cream and, and as our daughter grows she will grow up in a house that celebrates every victory big or small because for one the world is just too full of sorrow and tragedy but two there's just also a lot of joy in between why not celebrate that? Celebrate God's work in you, whether you feel like it's a small victory or a big win. Celebrate. Maybe you didn't get angry at your coworker. Celebrate. Maybe you attempted to share the gospel with someone and they just flat out rejected you. Celebrate. Praise and give thanks for the fact that Christ is at work in you. Seize the joy and give thanks to the giver of joy. A recurring theme we've been seeing is that what we choose to do in this season dictates the kind of people we become in the next season. And so if you're in a season of fruitfulness right now, celebrate, praise, give thanks, and practice remembrance. It is the remembrance of God's hand, of his presence and work, and of his love that will then give you the strength to endure when seasons of dryness or suffering come. And they will come. Remember. We, like the Israelites of old, are forgetful people. And our forgetfulness gets us into trouble when we lose sight of God. So we must practice remembrance. Remembrance doesn't just happen. Pray. Pray. Pay attention, participate, and praise. And of course, party. Life in Jesus is life to the full. We only need to receive it. And ultimately, when it comes down to it, that is the beauty of God's value system. Unlike the world's, it isn't based on merit. It isn't based on performance or achievement. It isn't based on Status. God's value system is simply based on grace. It's not something that we earn. And so the beautiful truth is that we only need to surrender to him and, and receive it from him like children. Perhaps Today is the day you sow that seed of faith. Perhaps today is the day you abandon the value system of the world and just give in to God's. A system of grace that brings forth joy, love, hope, and peace. In Christ Jesus, all of our seasons of life end with love, joy, hope, and peace. That's our promise. Let's stand and pray. God, we thank you for for challenging our value system. We thank you for for teaching us this morning and beginning to reorient our hearts and our minds, Lord. We thank you that in your kingdom, God, your value system is not one of merit or performance or achievement or numbers and figures, but it's just a value system dependent on your grace, Lord, and on your work in us, and so God, Lord, we pray that, that we would just marvel in how simple that is and how amazing that is and that we would receive it, that we would receive you and that we would trust that your vision for our lives is actually the best vision, that it's actually the truest vision for a life of joy, satisfaction and peace and hope Lord, impress this upon our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.